Hey ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mel Herbert here, Elon Daly, part of the Talking Tesla Network of Shows, December 9th, 2019. And what should we talk about today? Let's first talk about J.B. Strobel. Yeah, remember that? J.B. Strobel is the former chief technology officer at Tesla, and earlier, I think it was this year, he decided that uh, he needs to step back, he's got some other stuff that he wants to do, and we all freaked out, because it's really J.B., that's been like the guy. Elon's a genius, but JB is his uh, co-equal genius, who's really been working on battery technology and probably is responsible for most of the improvements that we've seen in Tesla batteries and battery packs. And JB was the guy. Now, he's still around, he's still consulting, but we were worried that the world would end when he left. Well, the world hasn't ended. And now we've got a bit of an idea about what JB is going to be up to, and it's kind of exciting. So this is supported by Simon Alvarez in Teslarati. And basically, he's starting another company, and this company is going to be involved with the recycling of batteries. So there's an enormous amount of technology that needs to go into the recycling of these batteries, particularly in the next few years when some of those first Teslas sort of come to the end of their life. Um, some of these batteries in the future are going to have you know many, many, many years of life. But still, there's going to be a lot of them. And as JB has said, at the shareholders meeting in 2018, we do not want to put these in the landfill. That would be bad. And they've also got some really expensive stuff in there that would be great to reuse. So apparently this new company that he's got is going to be working on that specifically. Like how can you extract all that lithium, cobalt and other stuff out of batteries that are at end of life so that you can, one, make money by you know selling that stuff back to the battery makers, and two, reduce the amount of crap that uh, we put in landfills. So very exciting because, you know, it's this is sort of a tough technology thing to crack to be able to do that without creating more mess than when you start with. And JB is the man. Now, it says that they're not working exactly directly with Tesla, but their factory is going to be, or their research center is going to be, in the same place as Gigafactory, like nearby. And he says because Nevada and this area has got some things that make it really good for business to go there. But it's just hard to imagine that they won't become, if they crack this thing, uh, basically Tesla's go-to recycling peeps. Very excited about this. Very excited. You know, lithium and all this stuff, you know, it's a limited resource. You know, everything is a limited resource, but Super limited resource so that if we can get to the point where we can basically capture nearly 100% of that stuff, that is fantastic. And do you remember the Cybertruck event? Do you remember that? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, do you remember the uh, ATV, the all-terrain vehicle that drove up onto the back of that Cybertruck? Right. We haven't heard much about it since then, but there is an article here in Electric that says, by Fred Lambert, that says that this puppy is actually going to come out in around the same time that the truck comes out. So this is from uh, Elon himself. He's saying late 2021. So we're talking mm, two years. Cybertruck will come out and this puppy will come out at the same time. And furthermore, Elon has said it would be cool to have an electric dirt bike as well that could go with it and could charge up in the back of the Cybertruck and all. But he has no plans, zero plans to make a road bike, a road motorcycle bike, because he reminds us that when he was 17, he was on one of those puppies, got hit by a truck and almost died. He finds them to be extraordinarily dangerous. And he is right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, riding a road bike like that puts you at about 20-fold risk of death or grave disability compared to a car. There's just, there's just, humans and metal don't mix. 
So if you're out there just with your human skins and uh, you have an altercation with something with a metal skin, you're not going to do too well. I agree with Elon that motorbikes are fun. Grew up at the farm, drove lots of motorbikes. It was great. But motorbikes in the cities and then the roads, they're dangerous. You are literally taking your life in your hands. And there's some good news sort of on the climate change denier thing. It seems to be that this is a shrinking population of peeps as it becomes increasingly obvious as there's increasingly more science or probably for a lot of people just that they see things like what's happening in Australia and go, what the heck? Have you been seeing these fires? You know, I grew up in rural Australia and there was always bushfires in Australia, just like there's always been fires in California. But I remember in, when I was in university in the 80s, this group of scientists came out and said, because of global warming and our modelling, we think that these bushfires in Australia are going to become increasingly bad and they're going to become megafires. And there might even be times, you know, 20 or 30 years from then where you'll have, you know, potentially 100 fires at the same time because, you know, Australia is very much at risk at drought and the droughts are going to get worse and the temperature of the air is going to go up and it's just going to be terrible. And they were sort of laughed as, you know, these crazy scientists and their ridiculous liberals and all this stuff. And now, 30 years later, we're seeing exactly what was predicted. And these models that, although not perfect, that we've seen even from the 70s, are showing that, oh my gosh, what these people said is coming to pass. Australia has been going through an incredible amount of drought. Its average temperatures in parts of the country have gone up significantly. And it's almost, and this is not too much exaggeration, it's almost as if the entire east coast of Australia is on fire. If you go and look at the video of Sydney, for example, Sydney is just absolutely covered in ash. And even in the middle of the day, my cousin, Cece, who was a producer on the show, she's back home right now, and she's like, you just can't imagine how bad this is in Sydney. Sydney itself is not on fire, but there are fires to the south, to the east, and to the north, and they're devastating. And the firefighters there are saying, like, we just can't control it. And they're about to have another week coming up this week of super high temperatures. And this thing has just exploded. Like, Australia is on fire. And we have a lot of American listeners that might not know, but Australia is basically the same size as the continental US. So when I say it's like almost the entire east coast of Australia is on fire, it's kind of like if the entire east coast of the US was on fire. Go look at some of the satellite imagery. Terrifying. It's you know, very analogous to what happened here in California, but in California, not as bad as what's happening in Australia right now. And everybody's sort of focusing on the koalas, which is tragic, terrible. Thousands of homes have been lost. People have died. This is a big deal. And it's additionally super frustrating because guess what? Australia also has a climate denying prime minister who has great ties to the fossil fuel industry. And uh, Australians are starting to lose their minds over this kind of ridiculous politics that is based in who funds you. It's just, it's unsupportable. It's, we've got to fix this problem. But this article in Newsweek that I'm reading has some good news in that it's starting to get through, that there are less and less people who are saying there's not a problem here. There are more and more people on both the left and the right that see this as a huge problem. There's still a lot of misinformation about how best to fix the problem and how well we're doing with it. For example, lots of people think that we recycle like 50% of our plastic when we recycle just like 5% or 10% of our plastic and this kind of thing. And there's one sort of very interesting statistic. They asked people, in the last 22 years, how many times have we kind of sort of broken the record of the hottest year? And a lot of people saying, I know it's been pretty bad, so maybe it's about um, 14. Well, it turns out that in the last 22 years, 20 of them have been the hottest on record. And only one in seven Americans 
I got that right. But it is improving compared to five and ten years ago. So the word is getting out because we are at that place where it is now undeniable. And unfortunately, the modeling going forward is terrifying. We all know this. For example, in California, the modeling suggests that in the next 50 years, there could be zero California forests because of fires if we continue on the same route that we're going right now, because it'll be fire after fire like you see in Australia, not enough time in between for the forest to reforest, and it turns to grassland. So I like this article and others like them, where you're not anymore considered by the vast majority of people as crazy when you say, we have a crisis here. We absolutely have a crisis and we've got to do it. Everybody on board. This is like the Second World War. Everybody on board. Industry, individuals, governments. And it's really important to not go sort of from denial to despair without doing something in the middle, which is action. We can do some stuff. So on that point in this Newsweek article, they asked the question, what are the three biggest things that you as an individual can do to reduce your carbon footprint? And I found this really interesting. I wouldn't have guessed some of these. So think for yourself, what do you think that you personally could do? The three most important things, this is from a Swedish study, do to reduce your carbon footprint. Well, number one is to have one less child. It turns out that if you have a child in the West, they are carbon producing machines. And we know this. We have a very carbon intense lifestyle. Having one less child is a significant reduction in that. Now that produces problems down the line, of course, with population collapse, which is probably where the West is headed anyway. But that's good for the environment. It may not be good for us socially. We'll see how that works out. What do you think number two is? Number two is not driving, having a car-free lifestyle. Again, that's not possible for a lot of people. But if you have that opportunity, if you live in a city, if you can ride a bike and if you can walk, doing that is kind of cool. And we should be building cities with that in mind, making them so that the car really isn't needed for the vast majority of people. That would be huge. But you might be able to make that decision personally yourself. I know some people actually that have done that. A little bit of a hassle in the winter when it's cold and windy outside, but they're doing a pretty damn good job of it. And number three, I wouldn't have guessed, don't take a transatlantic flight every year. Reduce that as much as possible. And so you can substitute you know, any long range flight, even though carbon emissions from the airline industry is only supposedly 2%, I thought it was way more than that, 2% of carbon emissions. For some reason, mathematically, it works out that if you can fly much less every year, then that reduces your carbon footprint substantially. That really hits me at home because I do a lot of flights and now I'm really questioning, well, which ones do I really have to be on the ground for? That they need my physical presence at versus I need to be there virtually. So there are things that we can and we should do. But as many activists have pointed out, the single most important thing that you can do is none of those things. What's the single most important thing you can do as an individual? It's vote for people who understand the science and want to do something about it. That's the most powerful thing that you can do. If governments really care about this, if they're focused on this, if they put their money where their mouth is on this, you can have tremendous impacts on what we're doing to the planet. And if you have governments that don't care, are nihilistic or are frankly antagonistic, disaster. So it's all about doing what you can personally, doing what you can in your business, but your most powerful tool is to get out and vote. And on that note, I'll talk to you tomorrow.